0: All right, so we're coming to the tail end, actually, of our series on prayer. It's the questions about prayer. That's the tail end. And you guys know the questions we've already covered. Here they are on the screen. Does prayer change God's mind? If God is sovereign, what good will it do to pray? Why pray if God already knows all your needs? Does prayer change circumstances, or does it just uh, change us? If God doesn't answer your prayer, is it because you lack the faith? If more people pray for something, is it more likely that God will grant it? Does God answer the prayers of those that have the gift of intercession more than other people? Those are all questions we've covered. Last week we covered this question. We addressed the video that was put out by the website, Why Won't God Heal Amputees? And I think we did an okay job of trying to go after it a little bit. So that was what we did last week. And I said that this week we were starting with this. If prayer is supposed to be a conversation with God, like where's the other part of the conversation? What's going on on that side that I don't hear back as much as I would like? We're going to talk about that tonight and start to answer some of those other 75 questions we have. We're going to speed up in answering questions because now we're through the bulk of it and we're starting to go through. But as you know, stop anytime and slow us down if you think you want to stick on a point longer. So I'd like to make just a couple of points from last week if I could. I'm not going to recap last week because it was two, three weeks leading up to it. But I'd like to make a couple points as I carefully listened to what happened in last week's discussion. And it's really a shortcoming on my part. There are a couple points I'd like to point out. We were so active last week and there were so many people in this room that we started to run out of time. And I just kind of sped to a conclusion. There are a couple points I actually should have made. Here's one of them. I want to make sure I'm heard loud and clear on this. That just because I said we tend to overattribute things to miracles, I'm not implying that I don't believe that miracles still happen. All right? I was just trying to point out that we as Christians tend to think everything's a miracle, or we use the word so loosely that we really should anchor it to its definition. All right? Things that really do go outside any natural explanation. All right? And I just want to be heard that I'm not saying that I don't believe that miracles still happen, despite the fact that I think we over-attribute it. So that's point one. Point two is that there are many things that can be explained Naturally. But that does not mean that God is not behind them. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Last week we talked about something called spontaneous remission. And we find that there are some diseases that can actually spontaneously remit. So we were talking about the idea that, let's say you're praying for somebody with cancer, and they have a spontaneous remission. And we also talked about the fact that, let's say somebody else has a spontaneous remission, and they don't pray at all. That it would be, it puts us in a weird spot to say that our prayer did something, We don't always know. But I want to be careful because sometimes, even though there's a logical explanation or even one that you can show medically, it doesn't mean that God is not involved. And the reason that I want to bring this point out is because numerous times it's just too much of a coincidence, as some of you asked about coincidences in your questions, that when somebody prays some very natural thing happens, to say God just isn't involved. Here's an example in concrete biblical terms. There's a group of scientists, a German and a Russian, who've been able to show that if you point the wind at exactly the right direction at 60 miles an hour, you can part the Red Sea. And they're not not Christians. They're just people reading the Bible thinking, is this even possible? And they've done a whole computer modeling saying, yes. If you get the wind at exactly the right angle, going 60 miles an hour for a steady amount of time, you can actually part this thing. There's a natural explanation for how the Red Sea parted. Does that mean it's not a miracle? Well, the thing I'd like to point out to you is, in all their modeling, the one thing they had to think is, if it was true that the Israelites crossed, how was it that right when they got there, the wind went exactly in the right direction? God is still involved somehow. The same is true if you're praying for someone's healing. Sure, they could have a disease that could spontaneously remit. But does it happen at exactly the moment that you're praying for it? Maybe that's a coincidence, you might say. Or maybe God still is involved, even though there's a medical explanation. And the reason I had to bring this point up, you might think I'm just trying to rehash last week, is there's a part that I just want to remind even myself. Part of my own testimony, as you know, is that when I was five years old, my ears were closing. My tubes were closing. I was going basically deaf. And I was praying in a church as a five-year-old child when my ears were opened. Now, I went researching this week to try to find out about childhood deafness and about how this happens to children, I know that I was supposed to have an operation to put tubes in my ears to keep them open long enough so that I could someday, you know, there's a way that they can work with it. But I was too young to have the operation, so I was slowly losing my hearing with each passing month. And then I was in a church, and my mom said, why don't you pray that your ears might get better? And I prayed, and my ears suddenly opened, and I never had the operation. I could hear everything. I went researching that disease. Is there such a thing as spontaneous remission? And there might be. It didn't say it in words, but it indicated that some children over time might be able to get better without an operation. They might be able to do without the tubes. So there is a logical medical explanation. Does that mean that I could say, well, that wasn't a miracle, that was just luck? I would just tell you that from my own personal experience, and I don't want to make my experience your theology, it just seems like a little bit too close to me that the moment that I was praying in a church, that's when it happened. So what I'm trying to point out is, Even when there are explanations in nature and we might not qualify something for a miracle, that does not mean that God is not involved. And we've talked a number of times about God's sovereignty being involved in all things in some way. This seems like a more direct way. All right? So I don't want to belabor the point. Just wanted to point that out because I felt like we never got to that point last week and I wanted to. All right, let me press forward in what we're talking about tonight. We're doing two things. We're going to start talking to God and hearing back from God. That's our topic tonight. Here's my motivation for this. I think that a lot of us are going to be somewhat silent about this topic. I may be wrong. I'm just guessing up front. I may be wrong about this. Because next to I don't understand the interplay between faith and miraculous healing and faith and extraordinary strength of prayer, the real issue that seemed to be on most of your hearts, at least from the cards that we got, is if this is supposed to be a conversation, why don't I hear anything back? But I'm also venturing to guess that most of us have kind of given up. That we think there's just, we're not going to hear back. We've been Christians for a while, and we're just going to kind of put ourselves in this numb place where we go, I'll talk to you because it seems like a good idea, but I'm not really expecting anything because I've been a Christian for so long, and you know what? I just am expecting I'll never hear from you. and That's okay. I'll just see you in heaven. And I wonder how many of us really feel that way. I would guess a lot of us, and that's why we'll see tonight. Some people just say, yeah, it's not that important. I mean, yes, it's a question that really bothers me, but I've also just learned to live with the discomfort of not hearing from God. So let me point forward on some questions you had on your cards. We're going to start to speed up a little bit and answer some of them. Is prayer supposed to be relational? Yes. There, we answered that question. We're moving on. All right? If you ask that question, we've answered it. Is prayer supposed to be a dialogue? As in me speaking to God and God speaking to me. Put a lot of thought into this, and I think the answer is yes. Okay? So we've answered that question. So if you put that question on the card, we've answered it for you. I knew we, you guys were wondering, how are we ever going to get through 75 questions? Just like this. Yes?
1: Like, I'm just surprised that you just said yes so quickly.
0: It's kind of a, it's a yes or no question, so is it yes or no? No, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> Tell me the part that you have the trouble with.
1: It just seems like you're saying it up to be always a dialogue. And, and I would think that it should be, but it, but it seems like our example doesn't always just show, like, I talk to God, and he talks to me back and forth.
0: I should put the word dialogue in quotes, because I agree with you that it, that seems like a flippant statement to make, to say that, is it a dialogue? Yes. But that's where all of us get stuck, right there. I agree it's supposed to be a dialogue, as in me speaking to God and God speaking to me, but we'd have to go into a long explanation of what it is, and we will. We are going there tonight. It's okay. Joe. I was
1: just going to say that dialogue doesn't have to be a continuous dialogue. I think that's what's kind of catching you up. And I think since God is outside of time and we are not, it can seem like we need to expect a continuous dialogue, but he's working things out in his time, and that, I think, is his end of the bargain.
2: Okay. Jeremy. I would just say that it's not as long as you, or as long as we're keeping the category of dialogue and speaking open to other things. In other words, it's not just some conversation. It's not just I mean that just has really has to be parenthetical in parentheses because that could mean different things. Someone could say God spoke to me, but they didn't. They don't really mean God spoke to them.
0: They mean something else. And we're gonna go there too. So. So let me, let me get through the easy ones, and we're going to still get stuck. I, you know me well enough to know that I could never answer anything with a yes or no. Are we supposed to approach God as sovereign king or as friend or both? Anyone want to venture to guess what the answer might be? Both. All right, now let's slow down and not make them so easy. Where do I get support for that? This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says this in John 15, 12 through 15. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now, of course, somebody's going to critique that and say maybe he was just speaking to the disciples. We could use that critique on every single thing Jesus said in Scripture and make it all inapplicable to us. But I do believe that in this particular case, he is talking about people who follow him will be also friends. We've talked about this in this group, that this passage has caused a lot of problems in the Western church because we've made Jesus a friend only and we've lost the sight of him as a king. We're starting to recover some of that. But the question that was asked on the card was, is he a king? Is he a friend? And I think there's biblical support for both. I think we don't need a lot of citation on king. We have that. Just I wanted to point out to you that there was a specific command from Jesus that I will call you friends. Okay, So we're just kind of dispensing with some of these questions and moving on. There's another thing that you should look at is that God in the New Testament is referred to as Father 170 times the way that he will constantly refer to God as Father, and it's picked up by Paul and others and repeated in that way. That's a lot to call God, who was seen in a little bit different light before Jesus introduced him on such a personal level as Father. Philip?
3: Isn't like Jesus' relationship with God a little bit more unique? Like, at least how we understand the Trinity, that he is sort of his Father?
0: Well, Jesus instructed us to pray to God as our Father. He's saying... Like you, when you pray, pray our Father collectively, like as a people, pray to God as your Father. And like Jesus would say, and your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he's, of course he has the relationship of Father, but he's actually taking that and saying, because you, and later Paul explains, have received a spirit of adoption from the Holy Spirit, that you now have the right to cry out, Abba, Father, because of the spirit of adoption. So it's being imported to us that you too now can have this same relationship. Okay, So it is kind of a shift in the relationship. And, of course, the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us, like God has come into the world and into us. The, the whole thing is getting much more personal. So that's why I want to point out, yes, that notion of king and sovereign king remains It's introduced also as high priest and other roles that Jesus has, but one is God being seen as friend, Jesus saying that, and I think we can apply that probably just in a more personal sense. The reason I put up the Father was because somebody could say, oh, so you could be a friend to Jesus, but what about the Father, if you're going to split the Trinity?" He's like, well, even with the Father, we have a more intimate relationship now, and with the Holy Spirit, we definitely have a much more intimate relationship because he indwells us. All right, another question. How often should we pray? Well, we've talked about this one before, and none of you like the answer. So I looked at two different translations. Without ceasing, First Thessalonians five seventeen, NIV says pray continually. Pray at all times, Ephesians six eighteen, NIV says pray on all occasions. So again, another thing that stumps us. How do I do that? Is the next question usually, is it actually possible to pray continually? I don't even talk to my friends that long. The answer to that one is try texting God. You seem to be doing that all the time. Maybe that would help you in your communications. There's no end to how much people are texting. Uh, Remember, these are your questions. So I think how often should we pray? We're going to talk about the troubles that arise with that one. And is it actually possible to pray continually? This is what I think the answer is, and this is what's going to bring us into our conversation tonight. Henry Nouwen has this to say, and I've kind kind of paraphrased it a little bit about praying without ceasing. And Morgan, when he did his talk on prayer, brought the same kind of concept to us, which is, well, let me read his quote, then maybe it'll, it'll come out. Prayer does not mean that you think about God in contrast to your life, or that you spend time with God instead of spending time elsewhere. Rather, it means that we live in the presence of God. And what that means to me as I read it, and the reason I picked that quote is because it seems that that is the way we think. Like, how can I pray without ceasing? Like, I have to eat. That's one of our common objections. Well, how can I pray without ceasing? Like, I don't even like talking to anybody that long. Because we assume, again, that praying means talking the whole time. We're making those dichotomies in our mind, and they're not really in the definition of prayer if you buy this definition. If you buy the idea that we are constantly in God's presence and that we live out our life in his presence and that, yes, part of that involves our discussion with God, but our whole life then is prayer. And that's why you can have a book like Brother Lawrence, like Practicing the Presence of Christ, and all those other types of books that seem to make it that this is something you can do or you live your whole life in his presence. If that tweaks your thinking a little bit, well, what do you think we're going to be doing in heaven? I mean, what is that life eternal in heaven where God's presence is the center of everything for us? And whether you think we're going to be worshiping all the time or we're going to have a regular life up there, we're still going to constantly be in his presence forever. And isn't that kind of what we're trying to do now here on earth, is to live our life in his presence?
3: I understand how that definition or idea of prayer fits for sort of explains he praying without ceasing or praying on all occasions. Um, but I feel like it goes against a lot of the other places where prayer is explained. Like, that then Jesus went away and prayed. Not like he was praying and then went away and continued to pray. Like And then these people went to pray. It's an action that is done. Not a, a state of living. Like, it's not described that way almost anywhere in Scripture. I mean, not, well, not that I know of. Um, like, besides, like, these things that our explanation for how to do those is that it's a way of living. But it doesn't even say, like, praying at all times, it's a verb, it's what you're doing. It's not living in the presence of God. Like, I agree that's something we should be doing anyway. But, I mean, that's a good thing. But I don't... How can we say that's prayer?
0: Do you want to answer? I think you have to do
4: some of both because I think there, there's a high value in in the intentional, okay, I'm going to go ahead and over here for 30 minutes, even in my room, and, and very intentionally pray. But... It doesn't seem, like, like I don't think, as the the of it rains, like I don't think that's what Paul is meaning to say, that we would have to do in order to pray at all times. Because, like, I mean, he tells the Christians to do this, and I don't think he's saying, you know, don't ever work, and don't ever talk to anybody else, and don't ever, you know, so that you can pray always You know, so there has to be a balancing of those two things, where, yes, you need to take intentional time to go do that and nothing but that. But then, throughout life, you should be able to have an internal dialogue with God. I would say, even like I don't know if this is what he would say, but I would even paraphrase. Rather right? means we live in the acknowledgement of the presence of God. Because if if we think God is present all the time, whether you ever think about God or pray or say anything, like you're still in His presence. You're just not getting it because you're always you're never acknowledging it. You're never. Yes,
0: I will acknowledge that there is a sense in which Jesus used pray as an action like you said like when you pray pray like this and he went to pray right so there is this there is the notion where the word prayer is used as a subset of this concept okay you could also make a case that that's the only way it was used except that then those verses would make no sense and that's why I think somebody like Henry Naun is not quoting scripture, what he's doing is he's wrestling with what do these commandments mean? By the way, they're not suggestions. They're written in a command tense, like this is what you should do. Pray continually. Pray in all seasons. I think what Henry now is trying to do is saying, I think this makes sense in this way. This is how we can make sense of that. I don't think he's trying to explain it away. I think he's saying, okay, there must be more to prayer than just the act of speaking with God.
3: Well, like my thought again like I don't I feel like the his definition that he's coming up with the is also of chargingging is just to explain verses he doesn't understand and I feel like these verses could be interpreted or explained different ways like I feel like praying without ceasing could just mean don't stop praying like don't stop this habit of praying like pray at all times like pray when you're happy pray when you're sad it doesn't necessarily mean like pray every second like it, it just depends on the context you can say, do something without ceasing. Like, I could say encourage this person without ceasing in doing that. That doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it every second. It means don't stop when it gets hard. or So I feel like these can be interpreted in other ways without having to define prayer in a much broader sense that no other part of Scripture supports.
0: I don't know that no other part of Scripture supports it. In fact, I think that's exactly what I'm trying to point out is that the life that we're going to have and the way that things are going to be when everything is reconciled together is exactly what this would be. It would be a life lived in the presence of God constantly, right? So it wouldn't be strange to think that because part of the kingdom begins now, that we would start to engage in that same type of life with the Lord. But yeah, I'll acknowledge as well that there are people who will interpret these verses the way you did. Like persevere in prayer is the way they would interpret that and say that's what it was meant. It wasn't meant to be all the time. But I think that Jesus enough times models for us this constant connection of living life in front of God and says we're supposed to be more and more like him that I don't think that Henry renown is wrong at all to think that's the direction we should take our discipline of prayer, of living it out in front of our Lord. Like I, I acknowledge Philip's problem with redefining prayer in that way. It could create problems. But here's the point. We define it the other way, and that creates just as many problems. We define prayer as the act of talking to God. So if I say, how long did you pray this week, you'd like count how many minutes you sat asking God for stuff or telling him something. I, I think that creates just as much of a problem with us. So either way, we get into trouble. All right, Let me press forward. Is prayer just for giving thanks? That was a question I was asked. No. We've already looked at it. And, and just not to be too flippant with it, You've seen this model that talks about all the things you could do with prayer. Some people have used this acronym, ACTS, like adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I think the best model of all is given to us by the Lord in the Lord's Prayer. It has that kind of model already built into it. And who better than Jesus to recommend, when you pray, pray like this. We've got two versions of it that you can look. They're very similar. Then he says, here's the Lord's Prayer. Pray like this. It is a model. It's not an incantation that we repeat You guys know that we have a whole series that goes through the Lord's Prayer line by line, so that's what we did there, was try to use the Lord's Prayer as a model to understand how Jesus commended us to pray. Is there a correct way to pray in front of other people? Yes. I actually have it right here. Let me tell it to you. This is the approved way to pray in front of other people. I know some of you don't like praying in front of other people, but this question was asked, so I found the answer. Here's the answer. How to pray in front of other people. Make sure to address God with a proper title. There are so many to choose from. Father God is very popular, so you can't go wrong with that one. Make sure to thank him for things everyone can agree upon so you don't offend anyone, and so that you can show that you're a nice and sensitive person. Things like beautiful sunshine, the spring flowers, or bringing everyone to the meeting should do. (laughs) Make sure to remind people about what you're going to talk about, or what you just talked about, in case everyone forgot, since the time the speaker stopped speaking a minute ago. Begin each new phrase with Father God or Lord in case God forgets who you were speaking to. (laughs) If you want your prayer to exhort others, pretend you're praying to God. But make sure to list a number of instructions for people to follow and behaviors that they have to adopt during the week. Pepper your prayer with the word just as many times as you possibly can. To avoid confusion and let people know that no other prayers will be offered and that you're free to open your eyes, make sure to seal the deal with the words in Jesus' name, amen, so that everybody knows it's okay to get up and eat. Just in case you wanted to know, that's how to pray in public so that you have some clue. I, I
5: just want to just say that I've like, struggled with this for a long time and it was like an entire year where I just never prayed in public. I was a worship leader that year, so that
0: made it <laughs> Did you just end every song with Let That Be Our Prayer and Just Get Off the Stage? <laughs> Let That Be Our Prayer Tonight. Amen. <laughs> Let's address it. First, we're not yet addressing the issue of why even pray as a group when Jesus seemed to pray in a solitary place so many times. We'll come back to any benefit of that. But the thing about praying together in a group that makes it appropriate is oftentimes somebody else is praying something that we haven't yet even thought to pray. Or they're praying hopefully from a place that they are connecting on a level we're not. The reason that stuff is funny to us is because we've created a formula for prayer in groups to make everyone feel comfortable. Actually, that's why the question to me is like, if somebody really prayed raw and honestly, not inappropriately, I think there would be discomfort at first with people praying the way that we sometimes pray when we're by ourselves. I actually think God would honor that prayer even more. Like rather than following a formula that we've all adopted where we go, okay, this is how you make sure everybody is comfortable during a group prayer and that everybody's on the same page and doesn't make the mistake of opening their eyes too early or whatever it is. What if somebody just prayed their heart, just opened up and prayed their heart in front of people? I think it would make us feel uncomfortable, but it would probably also take us to a place of deep honesty. There have been times, let's say, that where like, the closing prayer should have been something like this. Oh, God, I don't think we got that. I don't even think I understand you. I actually have more doubts now than I when I started. I want to start over. I want to hit the reset button. I'm totally scared right now. I feel like we've done more damage than good. But imagine pastors praying that at the end of every sermon. <laughs> You know, like, imagine that. I mean, in a way, I think we would grow to love that. I think we would grow to love somebody who has stood up and was able to say, like, Lord, I'm, I, I don't even know how they even picked me to talk today. You know, like, I'm so screwed up in so many ways. But, yeah, that would probably bring a level of honesty that would make some people feel uncomfortable, but in the end probably build a much stronger community that was much more mature. I agree. I think
2: you should probably that because we've had that happening here, but we've had what I would say are really difficult conversation and really pressed and pressed and pressed and pressed, pressed and then the prayer was to Jesus thank you for tonight I was like that's not the right prayer like mm. we're not there like right now we're all really struggling with this so the prayer that like the the pastoral prayer that the person gets <laughs> really weird to me Like, so I actually completely agree with
0: that yeah sorry what is just wonder like how much of that though, can you
5: just pray from your own heart and how much do you have to like I don't know, try to
0: speak for the group. Well, honestly, I think there's a level of both that you have to do. I really do believe that when you mentioned, Jeremy, used the word pastoral prayer. Like, I think there is a level that to pray totally your heart only means that you're the only one in the room. Now, of course, my heart hopefully is reflective of what's happened in this room, but it can't just be totally me. I mean, I can't just hey, okay, now everybody's going to listen to what I'm going through. So pastoral prayer or just any kind of group prayer should kind of reflect the community. And that's kind of, there's a tension there between saying, okay, I want to try to reflect what the community is going through because God speaks primarily to people, groups, and to communities, and to nations, and not just to individuals all the time. So it would be unfair to just bear your individual heart only, but oftentimes I think it's really felt by a number of people. And and even to push back a little bit on Jeremy's point, though, is that sometimes our prayer has to be that way. That even though there's a lot of discomfort or tension or doubt, there is times when you just go, you know what, Lord? I still want to pray to glorify you in calamity as well as in his providence, as well as in his goodness. Like We thank God all the time. So it shouldn't be disingenuous to thank God even in the midst of lots of tension and discord and to say thank you for this, thank you for what we've done, thank you for where we are. But, yeah, I agree to acknowledge sometimes, like, I'm torn up right now. I feel like we did not scale that wall. And that happens to us, especially in this group, because we have so much dialogue going on. People are bearing their problems with things, and it's not just all nice where I get to just speak for 20 minutes and nobody gets to interrupt, and then we just go home. You know, like, it's exactly the opposite. There are a lot of nights we walk out of here kind of torn up. So... On those nights, Jeremy, I'll just invite you to come up here and go. <laughs> you can come up and give the closing prayer. Go, Lord, we suck.
6: <laughs> I think it's interesting, too, that there are sometimes even Jesus prays on the benefit of what others hear. You know, I was, I was thinking of the story of Lazarus, what he says, but I was just trying to find it here. It says, Father, I thank you that you have always heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, so that they may believe you have sent me. So there is this place where he. He's almost in his heart praying things in this relationship that he's hoping that other people will benefit from hearing. So, which I think that's so there is there is a certain place for that. He's in a specific role though, as almost like a pastor.
0: Okay, so to sum that point up, I would say one way not to pray in public would be to get rid of all the formulas. That would be great. I'm guilty of it too. That would be great to be able to get rid of those things, and even if it led to some discomfort, to pray in an open, honest way. But I would say, with an asterisk next to that, that open, honest way should reflect the heart of the community, not just the heart of the person who's doing the prayer. Because we are praying for the community. All right. I don't think we have a problem in talking to God. Like if I said, here's how you talk to God, most of us could figure that out. Most of us know we could follow the Lord's Prayer as a model. We could do the Acts thing as a model. I don't think our problem is talking to God. In fact, most people in this room, I would venture to guess, know that you could just blurt out your heart to God. I don't need to remind you of what the Psalms say and how the Psalms cry out in pain and how the Psalms say things like, how long, O Lord, will you ignore me? I don't think we need to do that because you've heard it. I don't think our problem is talking to God. I think we would talk to God a lot more often if the second part were easier for us to understand. The hearing back from God. So, the real heart of the question is if this is supposed to be a relationship, I'm missing hearing back. So, here's some things I want to point out are ways you can hear back from the Bible. First, you can have an audible voice from God. That's one way to hear back. Anyone have that one yet? No one? All right. Angelic visitation. Anyone? Yeah? Angelic visitation? Zero for audible voice from God, one for angelic visitation. Vision. It's another way that people heard from God. Anyone on the vision front? One. Here's one more. A dream. Anyone on that one? A couple more. What I want to point out about these is they actually are in the order of the frequency of their occurrence going from least frequent to more frequent. Like audible voice from God... Uh, some of the authors that I read, basically their challenge was find one person who's actually heard an audible voice from God. They've been asking for years and have not seen anybody come forward and actually testify you know, that they thought was 100% right on this one. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but that it's very, very rare. We have it in the Bible, but I'd like to point out that it's rare there too. Angelic visitation, still very rare. Visions, some people report that they've had visions. Dreams, a little bit more frequent. The point, they're exceedingly rare. Sometimes we think that that is the mode in which God is going to speak to us in one of those four ways that are described. So I'll point out that they're rare. And I want to use this quote from Dallas Willard that I thought was kind of a little bit harsh. But it made me think, so I thought, you know what, And this, this group can take it. Here's what Dallas Willard has to say. If you've ever found yourself in a position of saying, God has never spoken to me, then you might ask yourself, Why should God speak to me? What am I doing in my life that would make speaking to me a reasonable thing for him to do? Are we in business together in life? Or am I in business just for myself, trying to use a little God to advance my projects? I think it's a good test for us to first ask that question. I don't think that's the answer to the inquiry, but I do believe it's a good corrective word. That we might just want to, as a threshold question, ask, yeah, why, why should God speak to us? Why do I expect God to speak to me? Is it just because I want him to? Is it because it's promised to me in Scripture? And if it is, then you'd find that one again. okay? Because that may be something you've heard in sermons. So that's a threshold. Philip, you're itching to get in. Go ahead.
3: I understand the point, point. I think it's a really good point. But like, I think there's a part of me that, think, given the assumption we started with the beginning, this prayer is supposed to be relational. I would expect God to speak to me because I assume He wants a relationship with me based on other things in Scripture. Otherwise, it seemed like I'm trying to get a relationship, and He's saying, I don't care. I think there is a fair expectation for God to speak to us if we look at prayer in any way as relational or a dialogue at all. Because, I mean, maybe not like in one of those four ways, but yeah, does
0: that make sense? It does, and I think you said it right when you said maybe not in one of those four ways, and you did link it right. I don't think Dallas Willard is saying that you shouldn't expect God to speak to you. I think he's saying, is it reasonable for him to speak to you? And then he has a big if, like, you know, if you're not really in business with him in this life. In other words, what he's really going after is that partnership idea that we've talked about. Like, if you're not in partnership with God, if you're not living your life in relationship with him, why would he just be speaking to you? Now, you could say, well, wait a minute, there are examples where he did exactly that. Like, what about Moses in the burning bush? Like, he had to get the guy's attention. He wasn't out there, like, seeking God. What about Paul on the road to Damascus? Like, he showed up and said, hey, stop killing my people, right? It wasn't like Paul was saying, hey, Jesus, speak to me, please, right? But those are, again, part of those rare circumstances. Even the whole speaking to me thing happens rare. I've said this a number of times. Like, you look at the father of the nation of Israel, Jacob. And I've said, you've probably heard me say that there's a period recorded in Scripture of 20 years of silence. Some of you always remember the story about Jacob, like, wrestling God, bless me, bless me. Was he wrestling an angel? Was he wrestling God? What was he doing? Whatever he was doing, this person who's the father of the nation of Israel, who the nation is named after, there's a period of 20 years where God doesn't say anything to him. Most of us go like 20 days and we think, ah, he's just not there. And we also know that there's, between the Testaments, a long period of time where God is not speaking through any prophets. So, even in Scripture, these things are exceedingly rare. Here's another thing I think that is kind of puzzling. We're kind of a group of people, not all of us, but when we're witnessing to people, we're always trying to remind them that we are kind of like free agents and God does not want robots. So that's why he created us, to have free will, so that he doesn't tell us what to do. And then we want God to speak to us every five seconds and give us instructions like we were robots. And I think that's curious that while on one end of the spectrum, we're always talking about how like you know God didn't want to invent robots, really, deep down inside, some of us actually would want minute-by-minute minute instructions just like that. And that doesn't seem to gel. Pick one. You want to have free agency and free will? You want to have freedom and responsibility? You want to be free to love God or free to reject him? Then you can't get minute-by-minute minute instructions. It's not going to work. Those are the antithesis of one another. Now, I know you might say, but I'd love to at least have minute-by-minute conversation. All right, talk about that. My point is, just like we over-attribute things as miracles, we may be over-attributing this phrase. And I know that Jeremy kind of highlighted it briefly already. The number of people that you'll hear who say, God spoke to me and said. Morgan has said in the past that those are words we should be very careful of when we use. Those words we should tread lightly over the number of times that we say, God spoke to me and said. There's a book that we've been reading, actually. This guy wrote a book called Reunderstanding Prayer. His name is Kyle Lake. And wrote a book going after many of the things in Christianity that we tend to do and then get ourselves in trouble because we don't think them through. Here's his explanation of people who say, God spoke to me and said. Here's his quote. There exists on this planet a breed of ultimate, highly mature super-Christians. These individuals are our end goal. They provide us with something to shoot for, something to aspire towards. Each and every one of them has a special miracle ear, hearing aid, molded into the wedge of their ear canal. This is what takes place among those who are most in tune with God. God says to them, put on that shirt, not this shirt. Yes, God. Don't eat Raisin Bran today. Go with Banana Nut Crunch. Yes, God. Go to the coffee house before the drugstore, not after. Yes, God. Turn left. Now make a right at the second stop sign. Yes, God. His conclusion? We as Christians have been led to believe that when we make decisions without guidance of a burning bush or a well-placed billboard, we're acting apart from God. In fact, many Christians have been taught that when we make decisions rather than God dictating them to us, we've actually just stepped off into a world entirely void of God. He goes on to talk about the concept of living in his presence, right back where Henry Nouwen kind of started us off. That maybe the first step in hearing from God is living constantly and recognizing that God is constantly around us. We're not apart from him if we don't hear from him. He's everywhere. He also points out the Jewish concept of heaven in the Old Testament was not a place that was distant and far away, but it was spatially near us, maybe dimensionally distinct. That God seems to call out from heaven like he's near at all times. We also know that Jesus is portrayed over and over. In fact, even in the text in Colossians, he is everywhere. So that the idea of God, like we're somehow away from God's presence, doesn't make sense. He points out that when we pray in our groups, like for example, like, Lord, be with us. Like we're asking for something that's redundant. He's already here. He's in all places. What are we asking him to be somewhere when he's the thing that holds all things together? So this leaves us with one more option, which I'll be honest with you, when I first read it, I didn't like this option. The still, small voice. This sounded like one of those Christianese things that they tell you about at camp, right before they send you out to go sit in the woods and listen for it, all right? What is the still, small voice? It comes from 1 Kings where Elijah is told by God to go up. It's 1 Kings 19. Go up because the Lord is going to speak. And you know the story probably because you've heard it, maybe at camp, where he was first, he thought maybe he's going to speak through the mighty wind. Maybe he's going to speak through the earthquake. Maybe he's going to speak through the fire. But what does God speak in? A very quiet whisper like a still, small voice. Very few of us are going to hear an audible voice, have an angelic visitation. A couple might have a vision. Maybe once or twice in your life you might have a dream that brings something to mind that the Lord is trying to tell you. But what do we do with the rest of the time if we live in this presence of the Lord, if he really is all around us? And that is, listen for the still, small voice. As soon as I say that, I go, "Ah, oh, that can't be the answer. How do you listen for that? And what exactly is it? Jeremy. I
2: just want to point out, ironically, this is what, what Phil and I were talking about on Wednesday, about first, when you're, in, when you're doing these things within the presence right, of the kingdom, of, of the things you're called to do as a Christian, then this question then becomes relevant. And at that point, I would say when you can ask this question, and when it makes sense to me to ask that question, perhaps it's discernment. I mean, perhaps it's the, you know, the reflection uh, of your consciousness. I mean, it's it's the things that you're in tune with um, because you're participating in something that's from God. In other words, because they live in the presence. they, They do... The things that make sense to hear that small voice. They, it's kind of like the, it's the same question. You know, why do you expect to hear something if you don't do anything?
1: I think here's the problem with the still small voice. I think I think I've heard from God and number four, and maybe once and number three, a few times in dreams. But obviously, the still small voice. I feel like that's how I hear God the most. And if I were to describe what that feels like. It's like a thought that pops into my head. Like I'll be praying and I'll be like kind of like going over something or meditating on something and like it's a thought and like it just clicks that like you feel like it's coming from God. But the problem with that is that it feels like your own conscience. It feels like your own gut feeling. And that's why you do have to be careful, like what Morgan was saying earlier. Right? You don't say this is what God said or, you know, God says to do this. And I think you get better at it over time the closer that you get to God, the more dedicated you are to your faith to discerning the difference. But that's the problem. The still small voice sounds like our own gut feeling or our own self-reflection or our own...
0: Okay, let me ask you this. I totally track that. But what I don't understand is what's wrong with it being our own Consciousness or thought.
1: I just think it makes it easier to question where it's coming from, or you want to be sure, you want to test it. Or I just think that's people struggle with like, how can I be sure that that's God? And I just think it comes with, again, experience or getting closer to God or fine tuning your spirituality, but still, it's like because it feels that way, the only thing we have to go by it is a personal experience. In my gut, I feel like this is from God, I feel like this is what He's saying to me, but. Unless it is one of those things, an angel standing in front of you, or God's actually speaking, you never really fully know. I mean, you could think you know, but that's all
0: I'm saying. Okay. I just want to make sure that both of you, though, are not assuming that because it comes from us, that that precludes it coming from God.
3: Okay. I understand that it could. In Christian, can't know, know anything, but still, like, it's it's very all the rest of our thoughts if they come the same way you know we might think well how does this feel like a conversation like if i'm talking to someone then i think they might say this like it wouldn't feel like a conversation to me like it would just feel like i'm making up what that person would respond to
0: okay
6: john can i ask a clarifying question am i supposed to be focused right now on just like hearing like audible kind of stuff or my are we talking about the ways god communicates to us
0: if i can clarify a little bit further this is one definition that's been repeated a couple times of how we actually experience the still small voice. You don't have to buy the definition, but this is the definition that's advanced, that it's God speaking to us using our own thought processes even while we're still in control of our faculties. That might bother some people, but that's what it is. Let's go to Soren. Um, I had this question
5: about what you were saying earlier, the people who just kind of always say, like, God told me this. Sometimes I wonder like what the value of that is if like God does judge on the heart and those people are like acting out of faithfulness and it says like anything that's not out of faithfulness is sin. And even if like they kind of like oversimplify it or throw that term around too much, like if they like honestly believe that that's what they're doing and they really are doing it out of faithfulness, does that still have value to it?
0: I don't know that it redeems it. I guess what I'm saying is it actually can do damage is the problem in two ways I could see right away. When people say, God spoke to me and said, unless they really mean probably a direct like kind of speaking, you do have the problem where you have to at least discern. When somebody authoritatively said, God said to me, it almost removes the invitation to go, let's discern what you heard. You didn't say, I think I'm hearing from God. You said, God said. right? So you're removing even the invitation to discern whether you heard correctly. The second thing is it immediately puts everybody else on some level where they're like, oh, I didn't hear anything, like I must be a loser. You know, because you've almost like elevated your experience. Now, if people do that once in a while, I don't think that's as big of an issue as people who oversubscribe to the use of God said, God told me, I was praying this morning and the Lord said to me, it's like, like I don't even see that frequency in scripture. And that can be an issue because we're not even getting the chance to engage. Are you hearing from God something as opposed to, I was praying and he told me. Oh, okay, then I guess we'll just all sit back and just, why don't just tell us what we're supposed to do now.
5: So I get Moses comes from like, a friend of mine, and I just wonder like how much, you, how much I should push that when he says things like this. Like, I was asking him about like, a song by the band May, if any of you know that.) And he's like, oh, yeah, I have that, computer, that, that CD, but I never listened to it. And I was like, oh, why not? And he's like, well, God told me to delete it off my computer. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I was like, any idea why? And he was like, no, he just told me what I did. Um, and I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. But I mean, like, he's doing it out of faithfulness,
0: you know? True, but I think one of the reasons this group exists is to kind of find the places where our shortcuts, even in language, has created theologies that trip people up or where clarification with people is part of it. And there, there is no shortage of people who are walking around genuinely and faithfully saying things that are totally goofy. And if it were just, if it was just us and there was nobody else, I'd be like, okay, we can excuse all that. We're all fallen people. I think the place where I think we want to clarify the language always in here more is because other people learn it that way and then get tripped up that way, especially in those circumstances where most of the people who talk about the over-attribution of God said, God told me, first it goes back to that dichotomy of like, so you're getting minute-by-minute minute instructions from God about CDs to listen to, cereals to eat, those kinds of things. it It creates that, okay, and I'm not, so I must be like out of his will or some weird thing like that. But it also kind of can be injurious i know it sounds like he's not like he's not turning that around to other people and walking around but i have seen that haven't you like i've seen people walk up to people even recently with a friend of ours said hey you know the reason you have diabetes is because you're not being faithful that's what god told me to tell you (laughs) like what i i would think that unless you heard audibly from the lord that's probably not something you'd want to be sure to turn around and hit somebody with god told me to tell you you know something like that that's just my feeling
6: well, I think you need to be—you need to be gracious too. In Ephesians, it says, you know, you know, let your words be beneficial to those who are hearing. Let it—let it benefit and be uplifting. You know, and this guy could actually really be genuinely walking in God's spirit. and God is directing him on a regular basis because there's some people that do walk in that more presently than others. Okay.
2: If you audibly heard the voice of God, I'm pretty sure you would know. Like, there would be no question in your mind. And, I think if most people are honest with themselves, they say, well, no, I really haven't. So then it really does come down to a matter of, well, then we need to scale back our language and we need to open up the possibility that our relationship with God might mean something more than just, I heard or I speak.
6: But, you know, one thing, I think a big piece that that we might be missing, you know, as as a disciple of Christ, as wanting to be... Like I feel as a disciple of Christ, one of my goals in life is to become like Christ. That's what I've been called to. And I think that a big thing that we have, we have to look at the life of Jesus because we're called to become like him. And like throughout the Gospels, over and over, like I just looked at about 20 verses. He constantly refers, I only do what the Father is doing. I only hear, and it's constant about seeing and doing. It's like this constant presence of God and doing the things that the Father does. I mean, look at John. Look at all John chapters 1 through 15. Constantly referring to the Father. Constantly saying, I'm only doing what he tells me to do. I'm only doing like continual words about this like communication, this relationship that is happening.
0: I want to hold that question, though. And to be fair, I, I want to actually bring it kind of to a close because we're not going to be able to answer the question that you two have raised. It is what we're going to leave until next week. So if you'll allow me just to step one more step into this, I want to tie the two of talking to God and hearing from God back down together for a moment. And Kyle Lake, who I like this book, Re-Understanding Prayer, on this point, he says it, so I'm going to quote it. I've used a lot of quotes tonight, which is very unusual for me. But, but here's what he says about this. And I want you to think about it from two perspectives. How our experience in prayer is, how our mind constantly wanders, and how God might be speaking back to us through that wandering mind. He says, often we consider it a failure when, in the midst of prayer, our thoughts drift off somewhere else. I think all of us have that experience. We're trying to pray and all of a sudden we're like somewhere else down the street, like thinking about what we're going to buy at Starbucks. But we should recognize that these thoughts are windows into the world taking place in our own hidden interior life. This is who we really are, what we are really concerned with, where our thoughts truly reside. And when we can open those up to God right there in his presence, that's probably where God meets us. I like the idea that, yes, I feel like I'm a failure when my mind wanders in prayer. Maybe it's not a failing, that's who I really am, and I'm opening myself up to God for who I really am at that moment. That's all I've got right there. But he goes on to say that maybe that's God's method of also speaking back to us. Now, I know that it creates this problem. How do I know the difference between God's voice and my voice? How do I know if Satan put that thought in my head? Can I do something to make it more likely that I will hear correctly from God? All three of those questions were on your cards. And we have to address that fairly, not tonight. But I want you to just stop and think. Is it possible that God could speak to us No, scratch that. Let me say it this way. Is it possible that the primary way that God speaks to us is through the thoughts that are prompted when we're praying? Because the other choices would be audible voice, angelic visitation, vision, dream, which we all acknowledge are rare even in Scripture. That leaves this other one. Let me give one tiny example. There's a day of the week that I pick to pray for New Song Church. It's, I think, Thursday. I kind of go through this, like, discipline of praying the days. And this week, on Thursday, I was praying for church. And I usually go through, like, the pastors and different people. And a name popped into my head of an elder that has left our church about a year and a half ago. I don't know why he popped into my head. It didn't matter. I just prayed for him. I don't normally pray for him. He's gone. He's off the list. (laughs) Once he's gone, he's gone. It's like, oh, you left the church too bad. I I might pray for you, but not on Thursdays, you know. (laughs) Thursdays is church day. Two hours later, I got an email that his his mother-in-law had passed away. Now, I'm not going to turn that into a theology of prayer again. I don't take my experience and make it into theology. I think that's wrong. But our experiences can illuminate what we're talking about. I emailed him and said something very simple. Even before you sent out your email today asking for prayer, for some reason your name was prompted in my mind this morning and I prayed for you and your family. No idea why I was praying. I just did. But here's what I want you to know. That even before you sent out your prayer request, people were praying for you. And that's the God that we serve. He wrote back later in the day and said that was actually the most uplifting and encouraging email we've received. Now, remember what I said at the beginning of the talk tonight? Sometimes things that have natural, logical explanations that does not preclude God's hands from working. All of you could say, hey, maybe it was just coincidence that it jumped into your mind. I mean, you were praying for your church and you used to go there. I could explain that logically. Sure, so could I. That's why I'm not here to tell you, like, oh, God said. I am here to tell you, though, that many times, and I know in your experience, if you paid attention to them, there are things that prompt into our mind, and they end up being exactly the very thing we're supposed to pray for. That's why next week we have to address the question of how do I know the difference? What is discernment and how do I exercise it? Because in that case, within two hours, I knew why his name is prompted in my head. But you could easily come up with a scenario where I prayed for him and I never heard from him at all and say, well, what does that mean? And I'm going to tell you that next week we have to come back and wrestle with what that means.